Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Yes, it's episode 23 of the MMA Outsiders. Better late than never. Zan Bando with me. I'm Tom Albano. And Zan, well, when we originally planned this episode out, it was just going to be, all right, we're just going to talk about UFC 283. We'll talk about Francis Ngannou uh, giving his side of the story with him and his failed negotiations with the UFC. He had the interview with Ariel. Maybe the PFL Challenger series, and then we had to delay the episode for a number of reasons, and then, well, everything kind of blew up. Yeah, so I guess it ended up working out in our favor, because now we have more to talk about. Am I am I right? For sure. And uh, you, Zan, also kind of blew up. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> and I blew up in the most unintentional way possible. To be honest with you, I have no idea what happened, but apparently uh, that's why MMA journalism is criticized um, sometimes is that they try to come up with any story they can and think, and fortunately or unfortunately, I already want to look at it, I was at the center of things, kind of sort of referred to as a sports journalist, a sports writer, and a fan of of all sorts. So yeah, we're going to dissect uh, what exactly that was later on in the show. But yeah, I was part of the center of attention, I guess. Zan, this industry is just so weird. Sometimes these things happen in MMA. Times a thousand. Uh, before we get into anything, make sure to hit that like button. Make sure to subscribe. Ring the notification bell so you get every new episode of the MMA Outsiders delivered to you on the spot as they premiere. Make sure to follow us across social media at MMA Outsiders ETB. You can also follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network at ETB Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, make sure to also subscribe here on YouTube for all the shorts so you get all the highlights from all of our shows and all the other shows here on the Up to the Bench Network. Uh, make sure to follow Zan on Twitter at ZanBando99. And you can find his work over at BJPen.com. On Tom Albano, you can find my work at Thomas J. Albano, Tom Talks with Nine. And make sure to find my work over at Fansided MMA. All right, Zan, we have a lot, a lot that we have discuss so we're going to start things off we're not going to go to 283 right now we're not going to talk about the Francis thing right now because unfortunately one notorious Irishman has found his way back into the spotlight for not so good reasons so Conor McGregor finds himself in the criminal headlines once again being accused of assaulting a woman while on his yacht in Ibiza this past July. Zan, this is not the first time we've seen Conor McGregor have any sort of legal issues. Obviously, we had his very notorious and historic 2019, where he was accused of several sexual assaults, had the uh, phone-smashing incident with the fan, punching the old man in the pub, 
We have even seen, you know, this isn't the first time where he was accused of something on international waters, where uh, he was accused of sexually sexual misconduct against a woman, I think it was last year. And now here we are, uh, assault, uh, allegations of assaulting a woman while on a yacht again. And then, does it ever end? Does it ever end with this? No, when you're part of the Conor McGregor saga, really anything that he does is a never-ending cycle of just Conor McGregor being Conor McGregor. And this is another, this is another example of it. And, uh, it's unfortunate that it happened. You know, we all thought it was just some sort of low ball incident a year ago. And now we're finding out that, you know, he actually assaulted a, a, a female, which is never, which is never a good sign. And, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, he can kind of just, unfortunately, as sad as it is, can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants and expect no repercussions. And then, you know, you come to find out that now, you know, you know, you come to find out that he's been out for, you know, now almost two years, and this is the main headline we see about him. You know, I, I just think it shows that his priorities and his head is in a different place, and it's not a good sign because, you know, it could mean, you know, stuff that's happened throughout his career that, you know, we don't know about yet, and I'm not saying he has signs of anything or anything like that, but it's just unfortunate to see someone with so much uh Talent and so much promise, and him being the biggest star the UFC's ever had, just be in this position over and over and over again. And it seems like he's just never held accountable for any of his actions. He's never been formally reprimanded by the UFC. The only sort of punishment he's ever been given, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you know he's been stripped of his championships before due to inactivity and stuff, but he's never been. You know, he's never been suspended by the UFC for a certain amount of time or anything he, remotely close to that. Then he has been suspended before by the Athletic Commission of Nevada. However, he was suspended six months following the uh, UFC 229 incident uh, with Khabib Nurmagomedov. But even then, you could argue that Khabib no, no, got I, harsher no, no, punishment. No, 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 I totally understand that. I just mean by the promotion itself. I, oh, by I, the promotion itself. Yeah, yeah. By Dana and company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, we've had. He's never, yeah, he's never been held accountable for anything that he's done outside of a commission suspension. Yeah. I mean, we we've seen Dana basically criticize him by following the bus incident in Brooklyn, but then, of course, as has been repeated by MMA media several times, four, five, six months later, you see that as part of the hype video for Connor versus Khabib. So kind of, and then uh, and then and then Dana's infamous line of, and then Dana's infamous line of, oh, it's just a part of the story, and then everybody is like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, a part really? of the story. What is what is this? WWE? Yeah, yeah. It's like it was. It was like, oh, really? So are you saying that this is scripted now? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it you're saying? It, it's, it's just like, part of the wow. story. <laughs> If that, it's, you didn't know, Sam, that Vince McMahon actually holds some stock in the UFC? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, it's the, just the, like it's just it's just like really like it never it never ends. And then, of course, I don't mean to digress, but of course, not even a day after this comes out, now Connor is being targeted for 
a new season of the Ultimate Fighter. It's like it's like okay, yeah. This, I, this is this is bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so just to give some context, by the way, for those who may have missed this story, so I'm going to take this from the ESPN reporting by uh, Mark Rimondi. Uh Ultima Ora, which is a newspaper in Spain, uh, released a report earlier this week where. A Irish woman basically says that it, that uh, McGregor punched her, threatened to drown her at a party uh, on his yacht in July. The unnamed woman initially told police immediately after the incident that it was not McGregor, but another man who attacked her. She did, Because she did not accuse him at that point, no case was open in McGregor's native Ireland. But now it will be investigated in Ibiza in light of the change in allegations by the woman. The case had been closed, but a judge ordered it to be reopened after receiving more details about the alleged incident. So, on one hand, you could you have the, you know, that, oh, it was one person and it was another person that might raise an eyebrow. But when we're talking about McGregor's case, I mean, when a case is closed and now all of a sudden it's being reopened because of new details, I mean, that's not a good look on him. No, it's not. And it's not a good look on the UFC either, considering that you know, his return after almost two years is highly anticipated. Do I have a do I have any sort of doubt that he'll be back in the octagon? No, but I think it just adds another sting to his career of why, you know, a lot of people hate him. This is another reason to to go to to, to go against him and to want him to to lose in his professional career. But I think it's also, just a lack of accountability. I mean, if this really did happen, and if what she's saying is true, and what happened to her is 100% accurate, then, you know, it's been like seven or eight years since this, you know, since his, like, whole, like, run of popularity started. The UFC needs to take a stand, and they've just, they've been, they've been horrible at it. They'll only do it to fighters that, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying and to be disrespectful, it's just the truth. They'll only do it to fighters where they don't think that that fighter can make them the most money possible. Or are they going to do it with McGregor? Probably not. And that's the that's the unfortunate thing. And then, I mean, it was just earlier this month where we had the footage of Dana White coming out, slapping his wife on New Year's Eve. And we were talking about how, well, is it is the UFC now going to look hypocritical if they release a fighter for domestic violence when Dana White himself is not going to be held accountable for anything. And speaking of not being held accountable for anything, Sam, I'm actually going to go one step further with that with Connor, because you talk about how, oh, they'll punish anybody, you know, who they don't think is going to make them the most amount of money, which yeah, Connor obviously will. We did mention that Connor is the superstar of the UFC even when he's out for so long, even when he hasn't won a meaning, a worthy fight, a meaningful fight since uh, November of 2016. Um, so considering those circumstances, considering that, as you mentioned, Dan, he's never held accountable, I, Dana White cannot come up with the, you know, nobody is bigger than the UFC bullcrap. Because what this is proving is that Conor McGregor is, for better or for worse, bigger than the UFC. Yeah, and I think he's been bigger than the UFC ever since he became double champion. And that whole um, that whole perspective of him being bigger than the promotion, I don't think has changed. And I think this is further proof of it, especially if something doesn't happen to him. 
um, in 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 light of this allegation uh, by by this woman. So it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting. As far as you mentioned, Zan, so Connor twenty four to forty eight hours after those uh, allegations came out had put up a little post on his social media talking about, you know, reflecting on his time with the Ultimate Fighter. I think it was season 22 where he coached alongside Uriah Faber. Those two never really met in the cage. Connor went on to fight Aldo, went on to have his feud with Nate Diaz, went on to fight Eddie Alvarez to become the double champ. We never saw Connor versus uh, Faber. We did get a moment of that season where Connor did allege that TJ Dillashaw was a snake in the grass, un, uh, unintentionally foreshadowing TJ Dillashaw's uh, betrayal of of uh, Uriah Faber's camp and the feud between Dillashaw and Garbrandt. So, for better or for worse, Connor did have some moments on that show. But what was interesting about that post, Dan, was that Connor had mentioned. He was going to be coaching the next, uh, potentially next season of the Ultimate Fighter. Now we have no details on anything official about a next Ultimate Fighter season, a season thirty-one. We have no idea about who potentially would be coaching alongside McGregor, and if it would just be two All Stars like it was with Connor and uh, Uriah, and they just never face off, or if it will hint towards a potential showdown against somebody, say, a Michael Chandler or a George Masvidal. Um, but I look at this, and I look at the timing of what Connor is doing with this, and this is to take off some of the heat of the story that we just talked about, the alleged assault and abuse. Of, co- uh, uh, of course. Um, you know, in, in all honesty, I do think Connor McGregor returning to the ultimate fighter for better or for worse, is good for the show because I don't know about you, but ever since they made the transition to ESPN Plus with the return of the show, I don't think the show has been particularly impressive with the um, Orte- with the Ortega season and then, of course, the Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena season. I don't really think either of those were really, you know, um, you know, had a lot of wow factors to them. I think if you put Conor McGregor in there with anybody on the ultimate fighter, it's going to be, it's going to be entertainment to say the least. And I think people will, will start to watch the show again, just for his presence to see what he's going to do, regardless of who the contestants are on the show is, I mean, he is one of the coaches. For sure. And yeah, I mean, when the ultimate fighter, I mean, yeah, when the ultimate fighter first came back, I mean, you know, it was really great to see. It was fun to watch, you know, each of the new episodes and see how things evolve, but it just feels like <laughs> these days it just feels like more of the same, more the same from when the show ended in 2018, and there's nothing new that really has come out of it. Like it lost its luster. It's lost. It lost its luster really quick. Yeah, you could argue it lost its luster when the Spike TV era ended and it went straight to FS1. You, yeah, you could, I know. You I know they tried also. That. I also know they tried on the FX the one season that they tried it live, but that just didn't really work. Granted, that season no. also gave us a lot of good talent. Right, exactly. Which, by the way, I love the live concept, 
and I thought they'd bring it back. I just don't think the ratings did what they thought it would. No. I mean, granted, so. I like I like tough as a path to the UFC for fighters. I like how you know we can have tough, we can have contender series and looking for a fight, kind of you know multiple paths to get into the UFC. But granted, I think maybe some of it is kind of redundant that, you know, if they don't deliver, UFC might just try to get rid of it. Yeah, I don't think Ultimate Fighter is going to go away anytime soon. But I can understand what you're saying with um, with the with the lack of just uh, – actually, it would be season um, – it would be season 31 of the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, 31. Um, yay. And so I – um. But yeah, I I don't know. I just think some of these seasons were really good, and then as it just continued, it got less and less. Um, like um, in terms of star power, it just became few and far between. Um, for like for like entertainment value, like the I last mean, season I can the last season I can remember that was really good was when Miocic and Cormier were the coaches. I mean, because then I feel like everything is now kind of formulaic, where it's, all right, uh, these two are going to fight. Here's an introduction to this person. Here's their training camp. Here's an introduction to his opponent. Here's his or her opponent. Here's their training camp. We have the weigh-in. We have, you know, the, the only time there will ever be something interesting is if somebody doesn't you know, is struggling to make weight or somebody suffers an injury and they got to work around that. But other than that, everything is kind of formulaic. You don't really see too much house drama like you did in the past seasons, you know, whether it be the disaster that was season five where the madness in that house or uh, let me bang bro or anything like that. You don't see... You know, those elements of reality television, for better or for worse, you just don't really see too much with modern top. Agreed. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but do, do you feel that do you feel that every season from here on out has just gotten watered down? Because to me, that's how I feel. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I just don't think there's as much talent as what there used to be. And I actually think the Contender Series might be a better lifelong, like, like long-term concept than Tough Ever was, unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, agreed. Uh, all right. So, Sam, I've made reference to the past here and on Empty the Bench that it feels like Conor McGregor sometimes is the modern-day Mike Tyson when it comes to, you know, his legal issues and his, uh, you know, downfall from grace. And, well, Zan, the the irony that in the same week that Conor McGregor has yet another charge against him, a woman has come forward and has accused Mike Tyson of rape uh, during the early 1990s, I think it was 1992 specifically, in a nightclub. Now, Zan, we... We have seen Conor, uh, Mike Tyson accused of rape in the past. Uh, obviously, there was the infamous accusation of rape from the early 90s that pretty much forced him out of the picture for some time. Gave him, uh, was it three, two or three years in jail? Yeah, it was about two and a half. 
two yeah two and a half years in jail and then postponed for a number of years what was supposed to be a long-awaited showdown in i think it was early 91 or so the tyson versus holyfield and then obviously we never saw that until the fall of 96 and then the rematch in uh 97 the spring or summer of 97 yeah 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 where with the the infamous fight fight um so I know this was I know this was years ago. I can't play it's sad to say as somebody who was born in the mid nineties, it's kinda of sad to say many years ago, as I'm reflecting now on my age of twenty eight. Uh neither here or there though. Um just Mike Tyson had quite the downfall. He had quite the history, you know, legal history, drug history. Oh, history! It just looked really, you know, it was really sad to see his fall from grace. But then, Zan, over the past decade or so, we've seen him kind of build himself back up. And now, you throw one of these things in here, uh, this new rape accusation from the nineties. Does this derail, you know, in your mind, any of Tyson's attempts to have built rebuild his image over the last decade or so? I think we get a way to find out if the allegations are true, and then I think you really answer that question. But th- this happening in the mid-90s, considering what happened to him later on in the decade, this accusation, it's not surprising to me. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but it's not, not surprising, surprising to me, me in, the, in, the, in the slightest. Yeah. It, it's not surprising to me either. Uh Zan, interesting point to talk about because you said uh, we have to wait and see, wait the legal system play out. What in your mind is the difference between? Let me put it to you this way: because we we just talked about with Conor McGregor that we were saying, you know, oh, it's not surprise he's not held accountable for his actions, and then Tyson, it's a wait and see. Is it because? Tyson is, like we said, has rebuilt himself over the last decade into a more positive human being. That And this accusation coming from 30-ish years ago when he wasn't, that kind of changes things. Whereas with Connor, like we said, that it's been continued ever since 2000 and whenever. I mean, I think it's that, and I also think it's because he doesn't fight anymore. So therefore, like his professional career quote-unquote, is not being altered, but his reputation as a retired legendary heavyweight boxer potentially is. So what I mean by a wait and see is that, you know, you just, you don't know because, like, there's no rumors of him coming back to fight anybody. So it's not like there's anything hindering this to where, oh, it's going to affect the next thing that he does professionally. It's just that, you know, as you as you asked me in the question, I do think it's because over the last six or seven years, he has tried to rebuild himself, and now it's like he's taking um, two steps forward or three steps back kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's going to be a wait and see for me too, but obviously this does no help for Tyson, as you mentioned. This could be a two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing, and I could definitely see people, you know, for maybe smart reasons, staying away from Tyson, you know, in the meantime. I mean, it wasn't 
what was it, some point last year, because the fan side had had the video of it too, with Tyson, Ric Flair, and a whole bunch of them together with the cannabis. Uh, I see first, like, partnerships like that, I don't see Tyson being involved in until this allegation resolved itself out one way or another. I It's hard to disagree with that. Yep. All right. Moving out of the legal issues, going over back to the in the cage stuff. Zan, there is now a very, very strong possibility. We talk about the word retirement, Zan, but the word retirement really doesn't exist in this sport. And now there is a chance that for the first time in three years, just like John Jones, granted John Jones didn't have a retirement, Triple C, Henry Cejudo, Maybe making his way back to the cage. It, there is a targeting for UFC 287 on April 8th. No known location yet. Rumored to be Brooklyn, but nothing confirmed yet. Henry Cejudo to return to the cage against featherweight champion, uh, pardon me, bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling. This would be Henry Cejudo attempting to become a two-time bantamweight champion. Obviously, Zand. He retired with that championship in the May, in May of 2020, uh, following a successful title defense against Dominic Cruz. Zan, buy or sell? Is Henry Cejudo coming back to the UFC? I don't buy this fight for a second, and I don't I don't think it's going to happen for a few reasons. A few are related to both of these men, but a few are not. I I'm not a big curse guy. Whatsoever, I don't believe in curses, but there's something about the month of April and targeted locations of Brooklyn that just smell bad juju. (laughs) This just just feels like one of those fights that's not destined to ever happen. Honestly. Yeah, I've I've commented on every single uh, Sterling Suhudo target post. Watch this! Watch this! Not happen on every single on every single one. Zen, honestly, when you talk about curse, you have you could just stretch it to UFC in New York because every time they go to New York, something happens. Of course, it, 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 there's something wrong with this, but uh, but uh, Zan, do you buy Henry Cejudo returning at all, even if not with this fight? Uh, no. I think he's just doing it to stir the pot. I mean, I had had a slip of the tongue that said featherweight before. Because that's the thing, Zan. I would say if this was for a featherweight championship, if Henry Sudo were challenging Volkanovski or anybody or anybody who was the featherweight champion, whether it be Holloway before, whether it be whoever wins the interim championship next month, if it was for a featherweight championship, because that would be a third weight class, which has never been accomplished before in the UFC, I would be a little more likely to buy it. But considering Cejudo's history, as you mentioned, of stirring the pot, the unsuccessfulness of, you know, UFC and Brooklyn, the curseness of that, and plus Zen, I mean, Aljamain Sterling, I guess you could, some people might say the little inconsistent with fighting schedule, injury history. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm going to put any stock into this in until the UFC officially announces it. I mean, oh, wow. Um, 
I don't mean to um I I can't disagree with you. I'm not trying to uh to switch topics um altogether. Might be a breaking news. Uh, yeah, within the within the, within the last hour, we have we, we have breaking news. According to the Schmo and confirmed by um, Shaquille Majority of CBS Sports, the UFC is targeting Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush for a unknown location and date in the month of May. Okay. Uh, hang on, I'm trying to throw up a quick graphic for that one. Uh, so we have, obviously, this news will have come out by the time the episode has come out. No, no, really, not really so much breaking anymore, but I guess you're going to get a live reaction right here from myself and Zan. So the UFC is targeting a new bout for Charles Oliveira, uh, Olive's first bout since losing the lightweight championship, you know, losing the vacant lightweight championship. You could say he was the uncrowned champion with the whole weight thing from last year. Uh, To Islam Makashev back in October, the UFC is targeting Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush at some point in the month of May. Zan, I don't think it would be too far-fetched. We were just talking about 287 happening uh, potentially in Brooklyn on April 8th. I would not be so shocked if this was maybe a co-main event for UFC 288, wherever that might be in May. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I see right, yeah. I, I see right there the schmo, um, CBS Sports, our friend uh, Shaquille Majori. UFC is targeting Charles Oliveira versus Benil Darius for May fight of the year contender right here. The match I've been begging for, and Zan, I, I mean Shaq's not wrong. This is a fight that, oh man, has a lot of potential, a lot of heat on it. Yeah, and this is finally Benil Dariush's fight that he's been wanting forever. He's always wanted a big name. He, he's felt like he's been a gatekeeper in that division, and he's finally getting a fight. So we're going to see what he really has, assuming that the UFC goes forward with this. And uh, I hate to throw around interim titles, but in my opinion, this is for the unofficial UFC interim white championship wherever whoever wins this fight is more than likely going to get the next title shot at 55 um in my opinion after the Islam Volkanovski fight uh is 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 has concluded what do you what do you think uh i mean you don't even need to say interim championship you could just say number one contender's fight zan uh but i will agree with you i think i could picture if islam were to retain the title I mean, if Islam were to retain the title and Benil Darius beats Oliveira, yeah, I think that's the obvious next title fight would be Makashev versus Darius. If Oliveira wins this fight and Islam keeps his title next month, I could definitely see an Islam Oliveira too. I think the interesting thing, Zan, is going to be what happens if Volkanovski beats uh, Makashev in a few weeks' time at at uh, 284. Does the Oliveira Darius winner then have to wait for a rematch between Volk and Makashev to play out? Or or could it be Volk has a decision where he can only defend one of the belts? That could be that could be a possibility too. So I mean, Dan, if you're if then you're the UFC, I mean if you're Volkanovsky moving up and wait, beating Makashev and then vacating the lightweight championship. I mean, 
You can say kind of silly because then why did you do the move up in weight class anyway? But that would be an interesting scenario for the UFC because as you kind of alluded, if that were to happen, if Volk were to move up but then vacate the lightweight championship immediately, you could throw that championship on this fight, Oliveira versus Dariush. The only thing would be what would happen to Makachev then because then I think the winner of Oliveira versus Dariush would have to be slated to fight Makachev being who would then be the because then he would be the former champion. Right. Or you could have a scenario like I originally alluded to, you make this an interim title fight, and assuming Makachev wins against Volk, you do a unification bout. See, but that that's in. If Makachev wins it next month, I don't understand the point of an interim title fight because there's no I, I think I think it. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. But knowing how the UFC operates, they're gonna, they're gonna want to make it bigger than it actually is. I think Zan, if if that happens, Zan, I think honestly that does more to harm the prestige of UFC championships. Agreed. Which is exactly why I'm saying it. <laughs> I agree. I, with mean, you. I, I granted, <laughs> granted, I, I, I can't wait for this fight, but. If that's the case, and like you know, there's I understand Oliveira is you know the former champion, a big star for the UFC now, but you know that a, a matchup like that is great, but it's great as a co-main event. I'm like thinking, you know, like they they can't have an interim title fight for no reason. Like they, there's got to be something that they're working on in May that's going to be you know to put on top of this. I mean, what comes to my mind, Zan, I don't know where they where they would put this card from May. I know, I don't know, yeah, I don't know where they would put this card, but if we're doing the weight class argument that if this was the co-main event, 155, there'd have to be a bigger fight, you know, above that. I mean, maybe, do they do Oliveira Dariush as the co-main, and do they do the Pereira-Adesanya rematch as the main event? That's a possibility. Assuming that Adesanya is fully healthy, that would that would make that would make sense. I mean, that would be a that would be a solid one two for a May pay per view. Honestly, well, UFC two eighty seven is currently scheduled for April eighth, and UFC two eighty eight does not have a confirmed date. the the um the, the last date that is confirmed. At the moment is April 29th, 2023, a UFC fight night card with the location to be determined. Same with the one a week prior on April 22nd. So, yeah, there's still a lot of shuffling. I think May is more than likely going to be Brazil. And and I'm really hoping that June, um, we'll, we'll get into this later, but 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 considering Chicago. that how the UFC might have a championship ended, yeah, I'm hoping June is Chicago. Yeah, uh, it's funny you bring up Brazil, Sam. Because at first I was thinking Brazil, but we'll we'll talk about Brazil when we get to UFC 283 because we got to talk about the crowd for that card and how that might affect it going forward. Before we get there, Sam, uh, you know what? Let's get this one out of the way before we get to your stuff. Um, Because we're talking about some trending stuff going on right now. 
multiple complaints have been coming out about the UFC 286 ticket prices. So we're talk- before we get to Brooklyn, before we get to this unknown May card, we do have UFC 286, Edwards versus Usman 3, which is going to take place at the O2 in London. Uh, and multiple people are on Twitter complaining about the exorbitant prices for UFC 286. In fact, 3-pack, uh, a.k.a. Ariel Helwani, Chuck Mendelhall, and P.T. Carroll just did a live stream on um, Spotify Live, and one of the topics was the prices for this show. Yeah, um, let's see. I'm trying to look. So actually, um, Sports Kita uh, just posted. Uh, we'll bring up Sports Kita again when we talk about your things, Dan. Uh, they posted a story the other day, actually yesterday, uh, tickets for the event were made available on January 26th. Jed Goodman reporting over 40,000 people were in the online queue to purchase tickets. But the queue may begin to dwindle once people begin to see exorbitant prices that they, may be, will, that they will be made to pay. According to Goodman, the lowest reported price for a ticket is between 344 pounds and 95, and 95 pence through 481 pounds and 80 pence, with the highest being and 4,080 Yeah, it's absurd. Um, one Twitter user, at ChristianoG. tweeted that UFC 286 pre-sale tickets sold out before I even got in. Nuts. So I think he was one of several people that had issues trying to get in uh, to purchase pre-sale um, earlier this week. And Zan, I mean, I this isn't the first time that we've had high ticket prices before. Zan, I think back to this past November, uh, the UFC 281 card at Madison Square Garden. I remember a lot of complaints about high ticket prices and basically, you know, how people were like, you know, why am I going to pay this much for, you know, a ticket to a UFC when I could just purchase it at home and saying it kind of, uh, kind of said that we're talking about the UFC's raising in a pay-per-view price to $80. And yet that just seems like the better option at this point than sit than it was for 281 and, how it is right now for 286. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, hey, I mean, I'll give the England fans this. At least they have BT Sport, right? So uh, they, they, they have they, they they have that to serve them well uh, the night or the morning of the fight, if you will. So um, there's there's that. For sure. Uh, all right, Zan. Let's talk about your moment. You were... Okay. You and Dana White uh, actually had an interaction on uh, social media. So, Power Slap has found its way into the headlines. Uh, whether it be from the photo of the one, it, it wasn't from Power Slap, it was from another slap fighting co- competition, but you saw, you know, a big swollen cheek on that one fighter, and like his eye was basically swelled shut. Or whether it be that uh, there was a 
one, a UFC fighter. Was it Eric Spicely who made the remark? Yeah, Eric, Eric, Eric Spicely did make the remark of the two and two. Yeah, that it, uh, it, that the contract for power slap any fight it's two thousand to show, two thousand to win. Uh, but now Dana White has also chimed in and uh, made a little remark to you, Zan, that basically, well, not to you, but to you and others, that basically alluding that the Nevada Commission is working on some new rules and regulations with the aim to make, I don't know about slap fighting the sport itself, but power slap at least, quote, much safer. So, Zan, I mean, since this is your kind of story, uh, I'll, I'll let you have the floor on this one. Yeah, um, I'm still awestruck that this even happened, <laughs> so I'll explain. So, for those of you who don't follow Dana White as closely on social media, he posted a promo basically telling people to watch episode two of Power Slap. And basically, when you go into his comments thread, it's filled with thousands of private accounts, and basically every single one of them said, oh, I don't like it, this is brutal, whatever, whatever. And every single person like that I saw at least commented private account, private account, private account, got all replies back from Dana White himself about it. So I sarcastically chimed in and said, um, well, thanks for being transparent and trying to make uh, slap fighting as safe as you can. And he was like, um, I appreciate it. Uh, yes, uh, as you continue to watch the show, it'll be made much safer. And I Wait, couldn't so, believe that you could. So then, like, were you or were you not being sarcastic making that? No, I was. <laughs> I was I was hoping I was hoping I was hoping that he would I, I was hoping that he wouldn't look at my profile and say and say private account too or fake account too but he, he actually he actually replied I couldn't I couldn't believe it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and, and how do how do you get yourself into these things man like, like that's my question how do you get yourself into these I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to reply, but I'm like because I because I because I, I, I liked because I liked reading your story the next day. And it's like, oh my god, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just think it was funny that there were three outlets, no names mentioned. One of them described me described me as a fan. Another, another one described me as a sports writer. <laughs> And then another one described me as a, as a journalist. <laughs> then, these days, what's the difference? <laughs> it's true. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I still. I. I. I still can't believe it. there. There are more outlets picking it up as recently as the Daily Mail from the United Kingdom. <laughs> so. Uh... When it comes to this, then I mean, I know you have been. I know you watched the premiere. You've yet to watch episode two, but are planning to. Um, I'm not watching it. Slap fighting just doesn't interest me. You know, I think the whole concept is kind of silly. Um, I think you, you know. I don't know what he talks about with it being safer because. I mean, here's the thing, because I know some people might say, you know, I mean, you watched 
boxing, you watch mixed martial arts, uh, that, that there's always, you know, violence in those. But here's the thing, Zan. Very simple that you can do in boxing, mixed martial arts, even professional wrestling, uh, that, that you can't do with, uh, with slap fighting. Uh, very true. And, um, Fuck. I will say, well, I will, I will, I will say this though. I do think it's funny how they try to build it up as this thing. Oh, it was popular in Russia, so it can be popular here. And it's like, really? Zan, like, have you seen, Zan, hold on. Have you seen what they do over there? Have you not seen the yeah. car jujitsu, the telephone fights? Are you saying that something that those things over there can just magically make their way over here? They're nuts over there. They're nuts over there in Japan. That just because they work over here, there does not mean they will work over here. As much as you know, I'm addicted to that stuff when it gets into my feed. <laughs> no, no, what I'm, no, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm. If we have power, Sand, if I we have power it. slap, if we have power slap, then I want to see a car jujitsu <laughs> league here in the United States. No, I think you were. I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. What I'm trying, what I'm trying to tell you is that I just think it's funny that they think because it works in Russia, it gets millions of views in Russia, that it can work over here. I mean, of course, don't we don't we know that Russia doesn't have any rules when it comes to sports? They can let they can let they can let anything happen. Same with Japan with the freak show fights. They all they all treat like I said. Then I want cartridges. I want cartridges to here in America. I want telephone booth MMA fights here in America. (laughs) 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 I want. God, I'm, I'm trying to think what else would I want. Uh, I want tag team mixed martial arts fights that, that, that they have over in Europe and in Asia. I want that over here now. I want that. Would that, be, that, that would be quite entertaining. The the the, the tag team fights. I I that want. Would be... I, I'm sorry. I I want jujitsu matches to take place inside of shark cages. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just ready. I'm just ready to go off, man. I, I, I'm just ready to let loose. I want a mixed martial. I want mixed sanctioned mixed martial arts fights to take place in supermarkets, in shopping in malls, in supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you want to, if you want to hit your opponent with an apple, why not? You can start. You can start a promotion called the Grocery Cart MMA. <laughs> you know, I, I want to combine. I want to combine mixed martial arts with the old hardcore matches that the WWE then WWF used to put on, where they they just randomly go into. You know, backstage into some place where the, the fight could take place. I don't know in a parking lot or in a locker room in a, it, it, where the makeup is done in a grocery store the, the, on the banks of the Mississippi River. I don't know. <laughs> um, I will say back to my tweet though. The funniest reply that I got from it was, "Let me know when you find out how it all actually works." <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm honestly, but in response to that, man, I don't know how much more safe you can make, you know, what is inherently... I'm sorry, I just don't get it. I mean, Zen, all this competition is, all slap fighting is, is whoever has the best chin or whoever can take a slap the best and you can't block. So, you know, there's no blocking any of the CTE that could come your way. And all you're doing is just watching people take slaps and get knocked unconscious for slaps. I don't see anything special to it. And I understand when people get a little upset that, you know, hey, all the head trauma and all the injuries that could come from that. I mean, at least in amateur MMA and amateur boxing, you have the headgear. At least you can, you know, block. And in MMA and boxing, you got four ounce gloves and eight ounce gloves and 12 and 16 ounce gloves. There's no, you know, this is the palm of the hand that you're going to be hitting with right on the right on the cheek and on the jaw and on the tin zen. It's a very, it's a very good point. <laughs> um, I did not expect that I mean, this segment went in this direction. I mean, what I can what I can say is, after watching the first episode, it's pretty brutal, and I don't expect the second episode to be anything less. But um, after watching some of the promos, the house fights look pretty crazy. So, uh, we'll see if this only lasts a season, but that's probably how long it will last. I mean, it's, by it's the way, not a good... this, by the way, this is doing better on Rumble than it is on TBS. If you want, if you want to talk about a, a, a laughable. Uh, product which is which is which is what it is i mean i mean that's the thing i mean for the audience you could say so so you could say you know hey rumble did fine but like with tbs then i mean they led that program in with uh aw dynamite and two-thirds of the aw dynamite audience basically said ah no thank you Yep. Which is actually kind of which is actually kind of funny, Zan, because that's how I got into the Ultimate Fighter. Was the, the Ultimate Fighter season one aired right after Monday Night Raw, and I'm like, and I was a very big WWE fan then. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll, t- I'll you know, Tivo with it. And then uh, I watched Bobby Southworth, Bobby Southworth get a knockout in the very first uh, Tough House fight. I'm like, oh shit, this is something else. Did you do you remember? Okay, I don't know. I don't think I've ever met someone who like watched the first tough season as it aired. So I have to ask: Did you did you watch the Ultimate Fighter finale? Yes, I did. And Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner won me over. That's it's honestly my favorite UFC fight of all time. Really? So I came in a year after you. I came in in two thousand and six. Post the tough boom. So the first tough season that I remember is the infamous season three with Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz, because that was the first rivalry I exposed myself to. So I came in the middle of their feud before Ortiz versus Shamrock too. That, See, I remember I remember the um the head coaches that are season one were um Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. I mean, I know they had a trilogy, but when you talk about rivalry, yes, and the first one I would really remember would be just because of the level of intensity in the rivalry, as you mentioned, Ken Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz. So yeah, that's how I remember getting into the sport was seeing that promo for Ortiz, 
Shamrock too. So we both came into the sport at similar times, which is very interesting. So I don't remember season one like you do, but I could not imagine what it was like watching a brand new TV show of a brand new sport basically right before your did you ever think almost twenty years later that you'd that you'd be covering the sport? No. Absolutely not. No, I didn't. Zan, I didn't even no, think I didn't. Zan, I didn't even think that when I was in college. When I was in college, I thought I'd be doing I don't know, baseball or football or hockey or something. No. My bread and butter ends up being mixed martial arts. That is a pretty interesting story. And it's funny because I don't think anyone who became a UFC fan post-2012 really understands how great that era was from like 06 to 2010. They don't understand it. Before before we had weekly UFC cards that pretty much drained the roster. And before we had, you know, bloated Facebook roster where fights. the UFC... Facebook prelims, yes, Zan. Yes, <laughs> Facebook prelims. <laughs> we had Facebook prelims where you had to like the UFC's Facebook page in order to watch it. And then it would just magically open. <laughs> it was a marvelous era, Zan. Honestly. It, it really was. It was a marvelous era that the only way you could watch the UFC in high definition was if you had direct TV. If you didn't have direct TV, you had to watch it in standard definition. Zed, and, and of course, <laughs> this was before the restrictions on uh, fighter gear, before the Reebok deal came in. So you would, it would basically, you would have people with sponsors all over the place. Yeah, like uh, like like corn nuts <laughs> or corn nuts. Oh, what an era! What, what an, an era. era that was, right? And now we're at UFC two eighty three. Can you believe we're so close to UFC three hundred? It will be quite. The, I hope the UFC goes all out for three hundred, like it did for. 100 and 200, but hopefully it has the success that 100 had. Yeah, and I hope UFC 300 has a silver canvas instead of a gold canvas this time. I hope it's silver. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand what the UFC was trying to do, and it, it, you know, and it was a kind of a cool idea and concept, but then sometimes, you know, you just look back to that card and you see the gold canvas and it's like, why did we select this color? True. Well, hey, we have about a year or so until 300 rolls around, so we can come up with all the dream UFC 300 matchups that we want, but for, but for the time being, we have to focus on what's currently in front of us, which was UFC 283 this past weekend. Yeah, for sure. Jamal Hill. So the light heavyweight championship uh, drama, Zan, finally ends. But it's not Yuri Prozaska who's light heavyweight champion. It's not Wilbert Teixeira. It's not Jan Blachowicz. It's not Magalet Ankalaev. No, it's Jamal Hill, who entered this fight, Zan, ranked number seven in the light heavyweight rankings. And he flat out dominated, battered Glover Teixeira from pillar to post of this fight. Teixeira did make it the distance. Granted, there were plenty of people who were calling for, you know, the referee, the doctor to step in. This is not the first time on this card. We'll talk about it. We'll also talk about it when we get to Jessica Andrade versus Lauren Murphy. I guess, Dan, I'm a little happy that to share the fight wasn't stopped, if only because 
Teixeira. If it turns out, well, this was the last time we saw Glover Teixeira compete in MMA, it seems, announcing his retirement following the fight. Zan, I got to give credit to you. I did not think Jamal Hill was going to be ready. And yet he just put on a performance unlike anything that I have ever seen against Glover Teixeira, minus maybe uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson. I had the biggest smile on my face the entire fight because I because I knew my prediction was dead on perfect. <laughs> I mean, San. I, I mean, San. Here's what I'm gonna say about my my picks. I was very solid when it came to the prelims. I think I finished like eight and two or something. And then I was I horrible only got... on the prelims. Did, did you? Notice? We were the opposite. We were the opposite. I was great great on the prelims, and I was horrible on the main card. And you were the complete opposite. You were horrible on the prelims, but you dominated the main card. Yeah, that that it, uh, it happens that way sometimes. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Say, what did you just say? That it happens that way sometimes? Again, the second time we've used that reference on the show uh, uh, today, but... Yeah, we'll I use mean, it a I lot mean, more next week, Sam. Sam, we'll use it a lot more next week when we talk about Bellator going to CBS. No, that's it's true. We may have to use it every thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I gotta say, it was Jamal Hill's night, and it's gonna be very interesting, Sam, because as I mentioned, he goes from number seven to now the full-on undisputed champion. So, where do we go from here? I mean, well, Zan, first of all, I mean, you listen to his post-fight speech, and it was something phenomenal coming from, you know, where he came from all the way to becoming a UFC champion. Making history, by the way, the first Dana White Contender Series alum to now have a UFC title around their waist. Three years later, which is pretty impressive. Yep, three years later. Um... However, some people, Zan, aren't as happy, criticize the fact that Jamal Hill basically defended Dana White in the aftermath of Dana's uh, slap New Year's video. Do you think what his comments on social media take away from what he did in the cage this past Saturday? Before I I answer that question, I'm going to say this. I think the fight should have been stopped after the fourth round. What do you what do you think? I would not have had a problem with it. I guess I'm kind of glad, like I mentioned, that Teixeira went out on his shield in what ends up being his final MMA fight. But at the same rate, you know, there is fighter safety. I think there's going to be more to talk about with that when it comes to the Jessica Andrade-Lauren Murphy fight than it does on on this fight. I'm just glad, Zen, that... I'm just glad that Teixeira, you know, he had his moments in the fight. He was able to battle back at times, and he was able to see the final bell, but you know, I would not have been upset if that fight was stopped. I mean, it was a clear domination. True. And to go back to your other question, no, I think you need to separate both of those things. Uh, Jamal Hill's opinion is his opinion. Um, You can take it for what it's worth, but no, it shouldn't it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't hurt what he did in the cage because that was an absolute domination over over a legend in his home countries. Oh no, anyone that's trying to put two and two together, 
on those two things, in my opinion, is mistaken. So, no. All right. As far as what's next, Dan, I mean, considering well, what the do you, controversy... Well, what do you... Well, what do you... What do you... What do you think? I mean, so-so. Like, I don't look as Jamal Hill in a... as good of a light, considering what ha- what he said in in the aftermath of that. But at the same rate, I'm not going to completely take away his moments in the cage. So you're so what you're saying is you're similar to how I feel about it. I'd say maybe not as strong as you because, like I said, I think it is kind of disappointing what he did and what he said in the aftermath of that. But ultimately, as I mentioned, you know, as we mentioned before, is the UFC going to really do anything about it? I mean, no, no. not going to do anything about it, unfortunately or unfortunately. So. No. Jamal Hill is our is our champion. As far as what's next in, uh, as I was going to say, UFC with considering the controversy that happened with UFC 282 and what happened with Ankalaev, where even Jan Blokovich was saying I, that Ankalaev won the fight and should have had the title. I, I think you got to do Hill versus uh, Ankalaev next. Yeah, Hill versus uh, Ankalaev uh, UFC 289 in Chicago. Does that sound good to you? Sounds perfect to me. And then you have the winner of that fight uh, face Yuri at the end of 2023. Probably in December. Probably. I, I'm good with that. Yeah. I think that's the perfect yeah. plan for light heavyweight. Zan, considering that Jamal Hill was number seven, his comments, et cetera, et cetera, does him winning and Glover Teixeira walking away kind of uh, – because we talk about how light heavyweight's one of the weakest divisions in the UFC – does it get a little more weakened considering Teixeira's walking away from the division? I think so. I and mean, I think light heavyweight has been weak for several years. It doesn't have the same star power that it does. And, you know, Hill's younger. He's, you know, a newer a newer addition to the UFC within the last three to five years, as we've alluded to. And I think it'll just make people who hate the light heavyweight division hate it even more now just because the star power since John Jones and Daniel Cormier have left the scene just has not been the same. And it wasn't the same kind of what we were alluding to when we first started watching the sport where there were all these superstars at 205 and that it was the glamour division and for the last several years it has not been that way. I mean, and then, I mean, it's it's only going to make things worse, in my opinion, if Ankalaya beats Hill... And then Yuri beats Ankalaya. It's gonna feel like a, it's gonna feel like a hot potato at that point. And a hot potato division just doesn't work. I remember Zan when the women's bantamweight championship between 2015-16 was a bit of a hot potato, where it went from Rousey to Home, and then Home to Misha, and then Misha to Nunes. And well, for the most part, Nunes has held that championship minus the upset that Juliana Pena had at the end of 2021 but a championship Zan, and hopefully you agree that that is a hot potato you know i think that's i think that's more troubling to a division than it is that oh look at the talent that this division has for sure you could make the same argument with light heavyweight after chuck liddell uh when lost the light heavyweight title to quentin jackson you 
You could make the same argument where it went from Jackson to Griffin to Evans to Machida to Shogun, where nobody could hold on to the belt for even one fight consistently to, to keep the division moving. It was like and new almost once a year in the, a division, and it feels like it's going down the same path. Unless Hill can get a few title defenses under his belt, then we could be looking at the exact same thing over a decade later. Right. Uh, you know, this this is his uh, Jamal Hill's opportunity to have an arrow like John Jones. This is his opportunity. As I mentioned, he basically was on the outside looking in, and now he's the champion. Zand, that, that kind of reminds me, not to this level of degree, but like in 2016 to 2017, we had Connor being the featherweight champion, and Jose Aldo was the interim, and then Connor got stripped, and then Zan through that we got the rise of Max Holloway, who ends up beating Aldo twice and becoming, you know, one of the best featherweight champions in the history of the promotion. And Jamal Hill has an opportunity to make his own name and have his own era, like Holloway did, like John Jones did, but. He's got to make the most of it against the likes of Ankalaev and Jiri. And imagine if Conor McGregor wasn't stripped due to inactivity, his career could be totally different. You never, you never know. Right. Uh, speaking of new champions, then, Randa Moreno once again is the undisputed flyweight champion of the world, defeating Davison Figueredo. The two had a couple of decent back and forth rounds in, but it did seem like Moreno was landing the better shot, busting open Davison Figueredo to the point where at the end of round three, uh, one of his eyes was completely swollen up to the point where the doctor said no. And Brandon Moreno won the flyweight championship. And then considering that Brandon Moreno was the one who got the two finishes, you know, both times they were finishes was in Moreno's favor. And he get takes the rivalry two one one. This obviously has to be the end of the rivalry, right? Well, uh, it is going to be because Figueredo is moving up to one thirty five, but like Moreno's not going to go chasing one thirty five. This has to be it. Even if Figueredo didn't move up to one thirty five, this would have had to been it. Yeah, this rivalry is over. Uh, credit to Moreno for taking two of the fights for sure, and he's clearly looking like the best flyweight in the world, and. Uh, Let's just say this. I cannot wait for, for uh, Pantoja and Marino to lock horns because that is going to be a high-level fight in 25 when those two step in that cage. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely done. Even Like I mentioned, even if Figgy didn't, uh, even if Figgy didn't move uh, up to Bantam, announce his move to up, announce a move up to Bantamweight, I do want to see you know, Brandon Moreno versus Alexander Pantoja. I want to see Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval. I want to see Brandon Moreno, Kai Kara, France too. I, I want to see these kinds of fights. And Now the division's fresh. It's it's good. Exactly. It's good. Exactly. There's nothing, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I said what I said last week. You said what you said, that we could watch Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno fight almost every week. But it is also nice that, as you mentioned, there is no holdup. The division is fresh. We get to see some interesting matchups again. And the first one is obviously going to be Brandon Moreno versus Alexander Petosha. And I'm all for this fight whenever it gets done. You know, put it... If 
if the, uh, you know, Oliveira Darius interim thing is going to come to fruition, put it as the co-main of that. Put it as the co-main in Chicago, uh, July, International Fight Week, or August. Like, I, I, I want to see Moreno versus Pantoja. That should be fun. Man, if if Moreno versus if Moreno versus Pantoja ends up in Chicago, you better believe that I, I'm that I'm there. There's no way. There's no way I'm missing that. That would be that would be crazy. Absolutely crazy. And then to and then to make to make it even more fun, you add uh you add Curtis Blades to the main card too. Curtis Blades versus wait Curtis Blades versus who? I'm sorry, Dan. Phone off. Well, um. I don't know. Could you do um? Could you do Curtis Blades versus um? Oh, Pavlovich. Uh, Pavlovich. Yeah. Yeah, that would yeah, be an interesting card mean, for Chicago. I would. I yeah, think that top, would those, be a those, card. those are the those are the top three. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, Zan, of Figgy moving up to one thirty-five? You think he's going to be successful there? Not a not a surprise. Uh. One thing I will say is uh, good luck because there are some uh, there are some studs in that division, but a lot of fun fights could be made. That's for that's for sure. Do you think he has the potential? I I have the rankings up here. Let me just briefly go through them. Let's not count. Let's not count Sterling yet because obviously. Oh, do wanna, wait. Do you want to share your screen? No, because I'm just I'm just going to run through some of the names. We're going to do Figgy versus Blank. Tell okay. me if you see Figgy. Okay. Tell me if you see Figgy win. Okay. Figgy versus Sean O'Malley. Absolutely. I see it. Yeah. Uh Figueredo versus Peter Yan. That's interesting. I, I kind of want that to be Figueredo's first fight. Yeah, I think he loses, but I think it's an absolute fire fight. I'll say I'll say that. Figueredo, because Peter Yan obviously has his next fight book. That's against Marab Devalishvili. What do you think of Figgy versus Marab? Uh, it's a fight that Marab would not say no to. I know that, and I think that someone's getting finished in that fight. I think he. I think Figueredo wins. Uh, Figueredo versus Chito Vera. Uh, I think. Uh, I think Figgy edges him by split. I see that. Figueredo versus Corey Sandhagen. I, he, I honestly he, think Figueredo finishes. I think he'd I think he'd lose that fight actually. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that uh I think that Sandhagen's experience factor at that weight would be too much for the former flyweight goat, in my opinion. Yeah. What about Font? I think he I think he beat Font. I think so too. I think he has the capability of being a top five. Because Font doesn't have the gas tank that he used to. That's a fair, very fair point. I so I mm-hmm. so I definitely see Figgy being top five bantamweight material. Do you think he beats Sterling in a potential title fight if the UFC were to be crazy and make that? Very interesting. I would say yeah, and I would actually love to see that happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of wouldn't mind a Figgy versus Sterling fight, but I don't know if he Figueredo should jump over. The winner of Jan versus Marab. I mean, obviously, if Marab wins that fight, because then you're going to have an issue because, again, Marab and Sterling being teammates won't fight each other. You have right. Sean O'Malley ranked number one, which 
No. But hey, no. technically, though, he did beat Peter Yan according to the scorecard. So by by definition, he should be the number one contender. In my my in my in my opinion. Now I he, now don't get now don't get me wrong. I don't think he won the fight, but because he beat the former okay. champion, by definition, the the rankings are not wrong. Do you think O'Malley beat Sterling though? Probably not if Sterling's hundred percent. Because because it's weird, Sam. Because as you mentioned and kind of alluded to, I don't see Figgy beating Peter Yan. Marab is a vis-a-vis, it's a close one. And yet, the champion number one contender, I could see Figgy beating those two. Figgy moving up to 135 is an interesting wrench into the format right now, 135. True. Um, One last thing for me, Zan. We'll talk about the worst, uh, we'll talk about the hard crowd afterwards, but what what comments do you have about the Rio crowd throwing trash at Moreno as he was making his way back? I thought it was disgusting. I thought so too, but are we really surprised? That that that, that that's my that's my question to you. Like, what what more do you expect from those crazy fans? I mean, well, I, mean we'll that, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, it's it's just it's 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 unfortunate, but it's the nature when you go to these places. Like Mexico City, like Brazil, where it's going to be a rougher crowd. Not calling anybody out, but after you know not being there for a long time, this is an excuse. I wasn't surprised at all when when a country gets behind their fighters, they want their fighters to win at all costs, and they're willing to do literally anything. And we saw that um, we we saw uh, that come in such a way uh, after that fight. And while well, well, it was disgusting, I was not surprised. Not one, not one bit. We'll talk about the crowd in just a little bit, but Zan, let's turn through some of the rest of the matchups. Gilbert Burns, quick submission of Neil Magny. Great victory for Burns. Did incredible, is incredible for him. Easy, easy win. Uh, he said it would last ten minutes, and he was right. So I mean, it didn't even it didn't even last five. Zan, he quickly submitted no, him didn't. in the first round. Um, I think it was a much needed win after the loss to Hamzat. And now, Zan, very interesting, Gilbert Burns calling out Colby Covington. Obviously, Covington and Hamzad have been rumored for quite some time. And I did make mention to, you know, do is there something that the UFC could pull as a negotiating chip to one or the other saying, you know, hey, if you don't, you know, sign the contract, we'll give the fight to this one. I had made that reference when uh, Wonder Boy had been Kevin Holland about either fighter. But now, Zan, really interesting. If Hamzat is the one that's holding things up, does the UFC go to him and say, if you don't sign that deal, we'll give Gilbert the fight? Because I, I could totally see you know, Covington wanting to fight Burns, and I could totally see a Burns-Covington matchup delivering as, say, the main event of a fight night or a co-main event of a pay-per-view. It could very well happen. It could very well happen. I think the fact that Burns won so quickly solidified himself as still one of the top names at welterweight and the call-out Covington, I think think that's what the UFC needed to say, you know, hey, we got to move along, especially Zan. Especially if Usman 
beats Leon to regain the title in a couple of months, and we need some fresh matchups at the division. Absolutely. Obviously, Absolutely. if we. I will, oh, I will. I will say this: Burns versus Covington is a fight that I would love to see. I'll say. I'll say that. Obviously, because I think Leon, I think style. I think stylistically, Burns beats him. I I I do, and I think he beats him rather easily. I think it's a real possibility. I think that's a fight that could fall either way. And as I mentioned, if Usman beats Edwards and the champion in that uh, title picture goes back to who the bleach can beat Usman, then at that point you need fresh matchups. And so a Burns versus Covington fight would be that fresh matchup. Um, obviously, if Leon wins, then anything can be fresh. And so we have more flexibility there. But I think if you are Hamzat, you might have to think about signing, putting your name on that Covington contract quickly. Otherwise, if if you wait too long and Usman recaptures the title, I could see the UFC quickly jumping the gun on Burns versus Covington. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with at either. Again, the welterweight division is a mess. We'll, we'll see what ultimately happens with it. But Burns beating Magny does create some very interesting matchups at the top that are not uh, Edwards versus Usman, of course. So there's that. Let's talk about Andrade versus Murphy. So Andrade completely battering Murphy. Uh, Zan, we kind of alluded it to before. Teixeira wasn't the only one who we had the little controversy about potentially stopping the fight. Lauren Murphy just looked completely... I know, her face looked a little unrecognizable, Dan. And there was a real call for a real concern about stopping the fight. I, I think at one point, Zan, you even had DC saying stop the fight a la Dan Hardy when Dan Hardy got into the confrontation with Herb Dean. Yeah, it was a very battering display. Um, not a surprise. I thought Andrade would dominate this fight, and she did. Um, and yeah, that Zane rematch is definitely interesting in a fight that needs to be made for um, midsummer, probably in Asia somewhere in July or August, and that's a fight that needs to happen for sure. Yeah, I uh, obviously she called out uh, Whaley. She didn't have. A, she had one fight with Whaley, uh, Andrade's first title defense after winning the title in Rio. It was about four months later or so, and Andrade lost the title in less than a minute's time. And I mean, with Whaley, I mean, what are you going to do, Zander? You, you can't do Carlos Barza again. You can't do Rose again. Do you do Whaley Zan versus Amanda Lemos versus Marina Rodriguez? I mean. I think Zan, honestly, a Whaley Zan, just if Jessica Andrade going back down to 115 for a rematch with her and Whaley, I think is a much better fight than those two options. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either, but I will say that I think for a backstory, Andrade versus Zane too is a great fight. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think Zan, the referee, should have or doctor should have stopped the fight earlier? With Lauren, one hundred percent. I don't know how much more punishment she could have taken than what she did. I thought it was a horrendous display of officiating by the referee. How an do you feel? An experienced referee at that too. 
How do you feel about Lauren Murphy, however, in the aftermath, basically blasting anybody saying that the fight should have been stopped? Uh, heat in the moment. I don't think she truly believes that until she goes back and watches the film, in my opinion. I think Xanet just goes to show the importance of a referee and a commission to, you know, know when enough is enough. That ultimately, sometimes you protect these fighters from themselves when they're too tough to know, you know, their long-term health and such. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, one less. Hey, it's not like we're talk. not going. It's not like we're not going to see that again, right? I, I I wish I had the sound effect ready of "No, you moron" from Dana because I I just think back to what we talked about with um Valentina and Priscilla Kishuea. Very true. Although uh, this one, I'd say this fight wasn't as bad as the Priscilla Valentina fight, though, in my opinion. True, very true. I, I, I still think that that was worse. Zam, one last fight we got to talk about. Johnny Walker versus Paul Craig. Johnny Walker comes out on top. And it was a really weird finish, Zan, where you saw Paul Craig trying for, um, I think it was a single leg takedown. And, I mean, Johnny, he just had his face exposed. And Johnny Walker was just delivering hammer fists and back fists. Uh, you think Paul Craig would have, you know, done something a little different and just let go, you know, let go of the takedown attempt to try to defend? Yeah, I mean, those finishes were so rare in MMA that he probably just didn't know what to do. But again, that's another one of those weird Paul Craig fights where you don't really know what to expect, similar to what happened in his fight with uh, our good friend Jamal Hill, who won in the main event. Although, oh, although that fight was related to his submission, not a TKO stoppage. So... Also, much-needed win for Johnny Walker. Now he has a little more momentum having two uh, back-to-back wins again. For sure, and that makes a future matchup in a year, year and a half with Jamal Hill that much more interesting, although we are jumping ahead because Walker does uh, still have some work to do when it comes to the rankings, but still a very important win over Baraju 100%. Let's talk about some notable prelim performances then. Obviously, show, the, big, the big one is the Shogun era comes to an end. Ihor Pateria ends up getting the first round finish about four minutes in. Uh, credit to Pateria, but obviously, you know, as we mentioned, uh, thanks to the memories for Teixeira, obviously one also has to go out to Shogun, one of the most legendary names in this sport. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Shogun as early as 2007 and just the way he came in and revolutionized the light heavyweight division with his mix of Muay Thai, brilliant wrestling, and underrated jiu-jitsu. He was a force for a couple years, and he just could never, you know, he was never the same after the Jones loss. But what's great is we always have the Dan Henderson fight to look back on. That's one of those fights where you'll always remember where you were when that fight place at least I remember where I was when that fight went down and uh just a just a word or a guy who would go in fight anybody he was always a class act and would just put on a great show for the fans and one of the one of the OG pioneers of uh Brazilian MMA at least when I was coming up and watching the sport and uh, a, a surefire UFC Hall of Famer for sure without a doubt uh also Zan we should give shout out to Bruno Ferreira completely Completely knocking out Gregory Rodriguez, shutting his lights out. Uh, 
the Bonefin brothers, Gabriel and Ismael, one having an incredible guillotine choke, Gabriel uh, submitting Monier Laziz, you know, completely whiffing on one punch, Laziz whipped on another, but Bonefin was able to jump, like he had some incredible reflexes jumping in and locking in that guillotine and doing it all in just under a minute. Very, very impressive win. Not uh, just for for uh, Gabriel, but his brother also two two guys to to watch as the year progresses. Already sure. a knockout of the year, uh, already a knockout of the year nominees, Dan, and only the second UFC card, the first pay per view card of two thousand and twenty three, with that flying knee knockout of uh, Terence McKinney. Nasty, nasty knockout. And by the way. Terrence McKinney is 100% right for everything that he's and after that fight in relation to all of the Barstool stuff. He has every right to defend himself over what Barstool wrote about him because that was completely classic is with what they did. You know me, I had my moment in the sun with Barstool, but what they did to, uh, to dehumanize Terrence McKinney, if you will, was downright classless. Zan, I mean, Zan, do you expect anything from Barstool? Once somebody goes after them, they're like public enemy number one, and they will do everything to trash an organization. And I'm sorry, I don't really have, you know, any... Like, I understand Barstool is, you know, a very popular blog site. I know Barstool and the story of Dave Portnoy and all, but, I mean, come on. it's That's classless, as you said. And... It's kind of sickening when I'm sorry, Zan, but no disrespect to Robbie, but Robbie gets away with some stuff that if you or I were on media row, we'd be thrown out for. Example: opening openly cheering for fighters like Han. Well, I don't know about I don't know about me per se. I think there are a few things that I can say that I've somewhat gotten away with, but I understand your I understand your. Uh, Yours, Edmund, but people who pe- people who know me personally by now know that I can toe the line a little bit. I can, I can as well, Sam. But it's just that once you know, if I was there on media row, I would just be, I would be very neutral. You know, that's that's one thing that you're taught in journalism school is to is very to have true. that neutrality aspect. But ultimately, Zan, I guess you know. The world of journalism today is a very weird place where it is people like Barstool. It is people who have the strong opinions and will openly cheer and boo their own teams and who will cheer and boo for for certain teams and such that get the notoriety and get the attention and get the money in these days in sport, these days in sports uh, journalism. Very true. But, uh, it's not going to be the first time you'll see a site pop up like that. I will do something similar. So it's just something to watch to see if uh, if this if this continues to be a trend. Or not. But yeah, I, but yeah, for uh, for somebody like Terrence McKinney, who's the top prospect with the UFC, to just completely blast him in the way that Barstool did and make fun of him and all and all that he had to deal with, not right, not right at all. Shame on Barstool for that. Absolutely. Um. Speaking of shame, so we talked about MMA on point before we got in here, Zan. Obviously, they've just published a new video called MMA is Broken, talking about the uh, expansion of the Ali Act, the antitrust lawsuit, 
Uh, MMA on Point put out immediately in the aftermath, Zan, of UFC 283. They always do like a little recap video of sorts. Uh, and I think this was Tommy Tollhold who was narrating it. Basically implying that the UFC 283 crowd in Rio, as you alluded to, Zan, it was the first time since uh, 2019 at UFC 237 when Andrade won the title. The first time that the UFC has been to Rio. It's the first time they've been to Brazil, Zan, since the infamous empty arena card in Brasilia in March of 2020. Uh, but the behavior of the crowd was a little... Eh. I thought, Zan... And it just doesn't have to deal with Brandon Moreno and the trash being thrown at him. Glover Teixeira, they just kind of abandoned in the, during his retirement speech, which was kind of sad. Um, the prelims, Zan, for as much as the prelims were delivering, and even the undercard of the pay-per-view, the arena looked a little empty-seated. Yeah, um... I mean, I think it's just going to happen sometimes. You're going to have cards where there's not as much interest in them, and this just feels like one of those um, one of those cards, and it's unfortunate, but that's what happened. I mean, if I'm the UFC, I know you're talking about wanting the Brazil to have another card with May, especially with Oliveira versus Darius, and it's looking that way, but... If I'm the UFC, am I a little more cautious now about booking a show in Brazil? I mean, they probably don't. They probably don't care about that in the slightest. They probably care about the revenue that they made from it before worrying about the crowd. As you can tell, there's been no public statement by the UFC about the crowd or them not condoning anything. They probably could care less, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think about Mexico City, though? Because obviously, the aftermath of that, where you had. Uh, the commentators, I think it was Brandon Fitzgerald and Michael Bisping, hiding under the desks as beer bottles were being thrown into the crowd during the UFC Fight Night Mexico City event. Do you see... A br- if Go ahead, sorry. Uh, do, do you see uh, UFC in Mexico City at some point this year or not? Probably not. If you were to, if you were to ask me right now if my life depended on it, I would say no. Do you see? Uh, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, about how they viewed that versus how they viewed what happened in Rio. I think what happened in Mexico City was worse because it happened. It was happening during the fight too, if I can recall, um, which is pretty brutal. Well, yeah, I, I you had it in the middle of the event. You had Carla winning, which got a very negative reaction, and it wasn't helped when I think it was Stevens versus Yair went to the no contest. Right, exactly. Uh, fair point. I I won't say it's I won't say it's the worst crowd in UFC history, the two eighty three crowd in Rio, but it definitely was an infamous one. Definitely not a yeah, not a strong crowd. De- definitely an infamous one from a pay per view perspective. I would say. Uh, speaking of the Rocky UFC two eighty three and just the Rocky Road for the UFC, uh, Zan, just one question I have. <laughs> Considering the circumstances of 283 ended on, considering, like you said, a notoriously bad crowd, do you think 283 did a disservice to the Rocky start? Did it help, or was it kind of a wash? I think it was a bit of a wash. I mean, the fight's delivered. You can't say the same for the crowd. 
Um, it was just one of those ones where I think the UFC is grateful to not have public pay-per-view numbers because I'm sure the pay-per-view numbers did not do as well as they had hoped, just given who was on the card and the star power of the card. But I think it was 50-50. I think the fights delivered, but the stuff surrounding the card was a little bit um, controversial, to say the least, and uh, just wasn't in the greatest limelight. But at least we got through it the rest of the quarter for the UFC should be better uh, fight quality wise. And I think they just did to get through this one and they did. So, I mean, if I'm the UFC, I got to hope that February just ends up being a, you know, a much better month than, than January was when you consider this, the crowd for the real crop 283, considering Dana White's little tip with, uh, his wife on New Year's, Jamal Hill's remarks, uh, the stuff now with Connor, and now also, Zan, what happened with Francis Ngannou, which, perfect transitions, Zan. So the day after, I think it was the day after um, our episode, no, it was actually same day, the same day, hours later, after episode 22 dropped, when we were joined by Curtis Calhoun and Dylan Rush, uh, Ariel Helwani sat down with Francis Ngannou for a special, what was it, hour-plus-long interview where they basically Francis gave his side of the story as to what happened with uh, his failed negotiations with the UFC. And hearing Francis's side of the story, um, did you have any takeaways? Was there anything that kind of surprised you? Um, not really, but I will say though that, um, it's just interesting to hear Francis really come out and say how he really felt. I think it's really the first time we've seen someone in his position really come on such a prominent show like Ariel's and has really was given the platform to really, uh, shed some light on, you know, how he was treated as a fighter, you know, to someone that Francis feel like he trusted in Ariel and, I think it was just courageous of him to do so because of all the controversy that these fighters get for going not behind the UFC's back, but for really saying how they feel and the reprimands that come with it. So I just think how he handled himself was very classy and as a true professional. For sure, Zan. He definitely come off as very classy. He definitely is rocking the boat quite a bit. I mean, like we mentioned last week with Curtis and Dylan, Zan, this is, and I, I even mentioned on an ETB blog, this is something out of Dark Ages UFC. It, it was in the Dark Ages of the late 90s where we saw, you know, Randy Couture leave as the heavyweight champion, where we saw Frank Shamrock retire as the light heavyweight champion, where the UFC lost two champions in, in one year with... Uh, I think it was Murillo Bustamante and I think it was Jens Pulver in 2002 and then BJ Penn leaving as welterweight champion in 04 and Randy Couture nearly left as heavyweight champion again in 07 and 08 but that which brought about a whole bunch of legal mess we have but we haven't seen a situation like this which is kind of uh, up until up from that point up until this point which is kind of uh that makes this even more uh, eye-opening. Um, it definitely seems like, Zan, that, as we mentioned, uh, 
that both sides were kind of uh, the Dana White UFC side and the Francis and Gandu side have their own priorities where Dana White and the UFC are basically saying, you know, we're going to pay you $8 million, make you the highest paid heavyweight in the UFC, and you're not going to take that. And Francis talking about the outside opportunities, which, Sam, we have mentioned with Curtis and Dylan. The UFC doesn't open themselves to such. You know, it's very rare that the UFC will open themselves to such, and it's because they're their own bubble. If you're not in the bubble of the UFC, Zan, you don't exist. You know, it's occasionally we have seen it over the past year, a little bit of a change, like when Bellator gets mentioned, whenever Michael Chandler's in the octagon. I think they even alluded to um, somebody in the PFL on the commentary of 283 last week. But you don't really see, you know, if, if you're not in the UFC, you're not a part of the best of the world. They just completely, you know, rule you out. So, and, 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 with that, I mean, we have seen Zayna take some chances with his fighters. Chuck Liddell went over to Pride for the Middleweight Grand Prix in 2003. Lost to Quinn Jackson. Went over. Uh, we did, had May Mack in 2017 and Mayweather beat McGregor. Dana White and the UFC just don't want to be embarrassed. And so they don't not going to do the cross-promotion stuff or cross-sports stuff that Francis Ngannou kind of wants to do. Yeah, that that makes that makes total sense. But what I do think is also interesting is that I don't know about you, but Francis seems to me like he's the first fighter of a trend where it's going to be more fighters like him that are going to come out and really say all of these things, you know, after being quote unquote free without getting the rep, the repercussions of the UFC. If that makes sense, it it, I, it just feels to me that Francis is trying to do something that. Other fighters have been "quote unquote" scared to do because of what might happen to them, and it's, uh, it's like from his perspective, he does not care. And you, and, I mean, and, and more more power to him. I mean, yeah, he even mentioned that he wanted the sponsorship opportunities reopened for fighters. You know, like we we had alluded with that when uh, fighters would have it all over their trunks and all over their corners and stuff that have basically gone away ever since the Reebok deal. Oh, it came into effect for the UFC twenty around twenty fifteen or so. Uh, when you had, you know, he wanted health insurance for fighters, and the UFC basically completing and turning it down. Surprise, surprise! And I say surprise in the most sarcastic of sense because obviously not. Um, actually, Zan, it's funny. I I just saw before. There's this MMA organization that's being started up. That's talk, that talked about how they were going to cover health insurance for fighters. They were the first... Uh, oh, the United Fight League. Yeah, I thought it was called the World Fight League. Uh, I see something or for the United it? Fight... It's the United Fight League. Uh, Jason, oh, Halcombe, okay. the, Jason Halcombe, the United Fight League, announced they'll be the first promotion to offer health insurance to all fighters. Great step in the direction for MMA promotion. Holds their first event February 18th in Mesa, Arizona. Interesting. And where where can people see that? That is a solid question, Zan. I don't see anything for that. In fact, their Twitter doesn't even have a tweet on it. Oh, really? Yeah. So very very interesting. 
had a little head scratching there. But Zan, you are right, and I kind of alluded this into my blog. Francis Ngannou has the opportunity to be, and you kind of alluded it in uh, something you called about me last week for a school project. You, we alluded it with Curtis and Dylan. Francis Ngannou has the opportunity to be a trailblazer if everything goes right. Now, with Helwani, Zan, they did not shy away from the fact of, you know, the possibility of going over to boxing about Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury responding, you know, saying, come chase the money. So it seems pretty clear, you know, as much as we talk about last week with Curtis and Dilla, the opportunity for PFL in the super fight division, the focus is going to be boxing. The hope is going to be that maybe Francis fights Derek Chizora. I know Chizora's promotion said that basically they're going to try and get something working with that. And then hopefully down the line, we get Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury because we even alluded to Dylan last week. The money that could be made from a potential Fury and Ganu fight would be pretty incredible. And it would be definitely more, and Ganu's pay would be definitely more than $8 million for that fight. I think it would be the biggest boxing crossover fight since Mayweather McGregor. And I hate to say it, but it might actually even be bigger than that if done the right way. If done the right way. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that considering McGregor's star power, but. It definitely presents a better opportunity for pay. And as you mentioned, if that happens, then, as you kind of alluded to, how many more fighters are going to take a similar kind of route? Well said. Yep. And and not to mention, Stan, all the different free agents that we've been seeing. I mean, Shane Burgos going over to the PFL. And basically the implication that, you know, hey, maybe with some of these signings that the PFL are making with some of the crossover to Bellator from the mid 2010s on and something with Francis's situation. Is this going to be a thing where, you know, you don't need the machine of the UFC to be successful in mixed martial arts. Not everybody can say that. Fedor Melianenko is probably the most notorious example of somebody who didn't need uh, the UFC to get the star power and the legend status that they did. But now Francis is really the first true fighter that's come from the UFC and has said, oh, I no longer need you guys anymore. Let's do let's do something else. So that's what he has in comparison to Fedor, where Fedor never had that chance. Very true. So it's going to be interesting to see how Francis's journey unfolds from here. Uh, Zan, one last thing just to mention the PFL Challenger Series is starting up tonight uh, I like the Challenger Series definitely gives opportunities for you know fighters to basically not have a PFL contract and then quickly launch themselves into the PFL and onto a big stage like ESPN and ESPN Plus yeah it's uh, for those of you who haven't seen it it's basically the PFL's version of Dana White Contender Series so if you're looking to get into a new promotion this year, the PFL is a hot promotion to get into based on what we've alluded to over the past few episodes. And this is just another aspect of their promotion that they have along with their million-dollar tournaments. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, if you have Fubo TV, go check it out. You could see the stars of tomorrow. Um, beginning this week, it'll be, what, seven or eight installments um, mm-hmm. over the course in the next few months. So there's going to be some young talent and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that show and becomes successful. 
for sure. And then uh, just a note about the upcoming PFL season. I did see a tweet. I'm trying to do a little search for that tweet. Uh, I'm trying to do a little search for the tweet that the PFL. Okay, here it is from MMA Kings uh, on Twitter, which is Nolan King from MMA Junkie. The PFL has requested event licenses from Nevada for the following dates at the Theater at Virgin Hotels in Vegas. Saturday, April 1st, Friday, April 7th, and Friday, April 14th. So most likely, Zan, it'll be April 1st that the 2023 PFL season will formally start. Yep. And yeah, just so you guys know that um, the the theater at the Virgin Hotels is going to play host to a UFC fight night card mid-spring while the Apex is being renovated. So in case you aren't familiar or are familiar with that arena, with the PFL news, there's a reason for that. And as well, so who knows, maybe the theater at Virgin Hotels could become the new Palms or something like that. But I'd digress. We covered a lot on this episode today with no UFC. And uh, we'll be, be back in full force next week previewing a early UFC fight night card with um, Lewis and, uh, and um, Spivak. And, and, of course, Bellator in, uh, in L.A. with Fedor and Ryan Bader on CBS. I think the Bellator card is definitely more important than the UFC card. And Zan, I don't know too many people who are going to be staying up at uh, one in the morning East Coast time to watch the main card featuring Derek Lewis will. and Sergey. I certainly you will, will or won't. <laughs> I will not be. <laughs> I, next week, I will be next week. I'm skipping live. I will. I will skip it live. Yeah. I I will watch the Bellator on the Saturday night live and cover that live. I don't know about the UFC. That's at one a.m. Uh, just no. I, I don't think I have it in me for that one. And in case you guys are wondering why, it's because of the road U- road to UFC finale, right? That's why it's so late. Let me put it this way, Sam. The original plan had been for Korean Zombie to fight. It would be in South Korea. It would have been most likely Zombie's retirement fight. However, Zombie wasn't able to make the card due to injury or whatnot. But they're still going to target the card for the Korean audience and the Asian audience. So they're going to put it at 1 a.m. even though the fight's going to be the fights are going to be at the apex. Yeah, it's a bizarre one, but uh, if you're uh, if you're in Vegas, it might be worth it because it'll be like a pay per view start time. So you never know. Um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. With this internet trouble, let's just quickly close out then. Okay, sounds good. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to do it for us here at the MMA Outsiders. A lot we've had to break down, but as you mentioned, Sam, but next week, previews for Bellator 290, Bellator's debut on CBS, highlighted by two title fights, including the heavyweight championship, Ryan Bader taking on Fedor Emelianenko in what is most likely going to be Fedor's final fight in mixed martial arts. We will also touch upon the UFC next week. Um, also, should mention, obviously, this week was a little later due to various circumstances, Dan, but uh, from now on, uh, MMA Outsiders is going to be moving. Obviously, most of our days have, we are usually on Tuesdays that we air the show on Tuesday mornings. Uh, due to some circumstances from now on, MMA Outsiders will be airing most weeks on Wednesday mornings. So part of a little bit of a scheduling change going on around the ETV network. 
hopefully on the next edition of ETB, where I'm on with Nick Morgison, we'll deliver more information on some scheduling changes that are going around the network. Uh, but until then, make sure to hit that like button. Make sure to subscribe once again. Hit the notification bell so you get notified for every MMA Outsiders episode, as well as all the shows here at ETB from Empty to Bench, uh, Game On, Fruity Serial, and Five Minutes, Five More Minutes, Mom, and more. Make sure to follow us across social media: MMA Outsiders, ETB, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow the network at ETB Network, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow Zan there over at Zanbando99. You can find his work over at BJPen.com. I'm Tom. You can find my work uh, at Fansided MMA. Make sure to follow me at Thomas J. Aldano, Tom Talk Sports 9. All right. That's going to do it for this very long edition. As you mentioned, Zan, uh, no cards this week, but we still had a really, you know, a lot much to talk about. Obviously, the week kind of blew up the more that we had to put this show off. But that's all that that's all that has happened this week. I can't talk anymore. I'm done. That's Zan. I'm Tom. We'll see you next week. Till then, be Joe Piper, and hopefully, Zan, maybe, maybe not. You don't have any more uh, tips with or uh, uh, run-ins with Dana White or Scott Coker or anybody else. Hopefully, hopefully not. Uh, but hey, I guess I had my, I guess I had my 15 minutes of fame, right? <laughs> For sure. All right. Take care, everybody. Good. Uh, have a good day. We'll see you next week. See you next week.